0: is the next trip podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 163 operating on January 9th, 2023. This is Drew, an airline ops manager and private pilot trainee, and I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective Doug, the holidays are over, and it's back to business as usual, which we don't take for granted anymore. How was your week, and why were you having beer for breakfast at 4 p.m. in Frankfurt?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyone who's been to Europe knows that you get in sometime in the morning, and then usually go down for a nap for a couple hours, and if you're a passenger on the airplane to Europe, then most likely you slept on the way over, but since I was operating the flight, I, I guess I had like a little two-hour break so I was able to take a nap but ultimately when you get in you want to take a two three-hour nap before you get out and walk around and go do things so that's basically your nighttime sleep it's truncated because you lose all the time heading over there so it's breakfast ultimately but then because I have to fly back the next day I have to go to bed a few hours later so I have this little four or five hour window to get up walk around go see things have dinner or breakfast have a beer so my On the clock, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. My body has no idea what's going on because it just woke up. And now it's like, hey, let's meet in the
0: lobby and go have some some beers. And my body's (laughs) like, yeah, that's breakfast. That's really weird. And you're going to tell us about your flight because you had some excitement on the way over. So you probably needed that beer just to collect your thoughts on what happened or what may have happened. But don't tell us yet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then you got back. So you flew from uh, Frankfurt to New York. Have you ever done that? That's... That's the no,
1: first I, to, I, I mean, I have as a passenger, well, you're up to New York as a passenger, but no, this is my first time with the airline operating to the East Coast, which is neat to see just a little bit different procedures, a little bit f- further southerly route, as opposed to going way up over Greenland, coming down over Eastern Canada and then over Boston airspace and then down into New York City.
0: Yeah, it was so funny because you were walking around Rockefeller Center sending us pictures of the lights and everything. And at the same time, Matt, who's been on the show a few times, he's regaling me with all these pictures from his New York trip. And you both sent me pictures of Rockefeller Center or Plaza or whatever at the same time. And I'm like, I'm at work. I'm busy as hell. But I'm like... Are you you guys are in the same place? I know so we, and we, we I, I wish I wish I had known thing? that
1: because when you finally sent me that message I was I was already back in the room cuz yeah. I had to get up early the next morning so mm-hmm. I couldn't go see him but yeah if we had known that's that's awesome it's such a small world that yeah, really, two people yeah. who don't live in New York City are in Rockefeller Center at the same time. And I just want to add for the Rockefeller piece because I talked last week or 2 weeks ago about my Christmas Munich trip and how everything closed down on Christmas Eve. And even in, when, when I was in Frankfurt the other day, there was there was no trace of Christmas left. It was gone. Mm-hmm. No lights were up, no decorations, nothing. It was like Christmas ended on the 24th in Germany. Mm-hmm. And on the 25th, it's back to life as normal. Wow. That's and good. walking around New York City, they're still playing Christmas music. They've got <laughs> the lights up. Rockefeller Center still at the giant tree. I, I sent you a bunch, like, probably a dozen pictures of different Christmas lights decorations in new york city i can't remember exactly what i said but it was something like germany we closed down christmas on the 24th and then new right. york city fourth of january here hold we my beer on. watch
0: this yeah and we st- robbie is still turning on the christmas lights isn't yeah. that something the 12 days of christmas wouldn't that go into january so i think we're being like historically correct technically lazy. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's it i'll take mine down in february after all our trips
0: Alright, anything else about your trip? Oh um no. we are gonna talk about your um arrival in San Francisco, so I want you to tell me about it. But you were a passenger. Yeah. And, but it was kind of sporty because of the weather, but that's a news news segment for us. Ian was on a flight on our airline from uh Los Angeles to Maui. Our airline plays this game called Halfway to Hawaii. Have you heard of this? Yeah,
1: I've I've been part of it several times.
0: Yeah, so they asked the passenger actually tell us about it and then I'll tell you what this crew did in, uh, replace of halfway to Hawaii. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Between the West coast and Hawaii,
1: there's, or, or I guess any oceanic thing that you fly, there's a halfway point, Uh, whether it's time or distance and there, we've talked about how distance and time are two totally separate metrics that we use in the flight deck. But what we do is if, if the crew chooses to play halfway to Hawaii and I, it's up to the flight attendants and how busy they are, some crews they they really want to play, so they'll call up to the flight deck and ask for all the information. Other crews they're like, yeah I, I'm tired of playing that game. We're not gonna do it <laughs> or or they they bring it up and no passengers participate. yeah and I've seen it before where a lot of passengers participate. so it just yeah. really it, it changes from flight mm-hmm. to flight, but basically they ask us for a, a bunch of metrics and then the the captain or myself will read it to the passengers they'll we'll, we'll give them our takeoff time will give them the average headwinds or tailwinds that we're experiencing for the crossing. We'll give them our ground speed in miles per hour and we'll tell them what the flight time is. They have to guess the time on the clock down to the second as to when we are going to be halfway between the place that we took off from and the place that we're arriving to. And then they get some sort of a, a prize or a treat or something right. that the person who's the closest
0: I have never been on one of our flights where they were playing this game and just you describing it makes me not want to play it because I'm on vacation I really don't want to do all those calculations even as an athlete <laughs> av- <geek. laughs> so on this flight it, it seemed like it was more fun because it's a very senior crew LAX to Maui and the crew asked instead of halfway to Hawaii they wanted everyone to come up with a number Of the collective seniorities of all the people of all the crew members, Mm. and that number came out to two hundred and thirty-two years (laughs) of (laughs) seniority. And I am sure everyone bid low (laughs) because you know he had a picture of the flight attendant, really beautiful. I would never have known that her senior just guess her seniority. The most this was a
1: seven thirty-seven. I am guessing seven thirty-seven. Yeah, with four flight attendants.
0: Yeah, four flight attendants, two pilots. What would you get?
1: Did that include the pilots though? The yeah, two hundred thirty-two so. years, it did. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's see, two hundred thirty-two, two hundred thirty-two divided by six. That's a that's about just shy of sixty on average for each person. Was she seventy-five? Oh, no,
0: you know what? There were, um, I think there was one deadheader, so there is probably seven total. No, that that makes
1: sense. Yep, for for six. For two pilots, four flight attendants to be an average of just shy of 60 years old? That makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I, I'm oh. guessing
1: she was probably 75.
0: 75 years old? Yeah. I don't know how old she was. No, this is the. the oh, I this, thought that's the, what you were asking. Seniority, me. not how oh, old. Oh,
1: seniority. Oh, like what year she was hired. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yep.
0: 1970. Oh, close. So the highest seniority person was hired in 1969. Oh, (laughs) wow. That's 53 years ago. Right. And there were two from 1960. No, 54 years ago now. 54 years ago. I was telling Ian, our first flight, my first flight to the U.S. when we were moving from Sri Lanka was from Hong Kong to San Francisco on a 747, 100 or 200 on Pan Am. And he said one of them actually worked for Pan Am before they worked for our airline. Wow. So, so it was like, okay, one of them could have been working the flight when I was four years old on a flight from Hong Kong to San Francisco in nineteen. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. So I think that that was actually more fun than trying to calculate ground speed and headwind. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what so. I'm saying. It's,
1: it's funny that like half the time the flight attendants say, yeah, we're not even going to bother with the game. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> half of the time when they do play the game. The passengers no one participates yeah or very very few people do because like you said they just want to sit their Mai Tais watch their movies and get to the islands as quickly as they can
0: right or they're taking a nap and the game is interrupting them all right Doug I know most of the flights that you've flown or that you've deadheaded on have been full or close to full I tried to get to Europe for a quick getaway a couple weeks ago and ended up just staying home because I couldn't get a nice seat It was all middle seats and economy. So we're all full in the premium cabins and almost full in economy. Yeah, true. But it's not just the passenger cabins that are full. It's the cargo holds. Pre-pandemic,
1: cargo airlines carried 53% of the world's air freight, while passenger airlines carried almost as much as 47%. Well, the passenger airlines are almost back to 2019 levels around the world and are filling up their cargo pits again. And we even took off a little bit late out of Frankfurt the other day. Because we were still loading the cargo. We, we took a delay for
0: cargo loading. Oh, right. Yeah, it's it. that's another good problem to have, right? Because for us, the cargo is kind of the icing on the cake. We don't, we're we not a cargo airline, but we're filling the empty spots in the cargo hold with freight. And mm-hmm. we have that all the time where we actually have to hold off some freight because we have more bags than expected. So, for example, Doug, will need two cans just for Jetway bags going to Brussels because there's so many. That could be close to a hundred jetway bags. So that's equivalent to two or three cans. So the lead will call the load planner and say, Hey, I need more spots. And what happens, what gets held off the non-priority freight? So once again, good problem to have. Doug, I think when we reported about this during the pandemic and how cargo airlines were doing, I think both of us were shocked that half of just about half of the world's air cargo is carried underneath you you know when you're a passenger it's carried in the bellies of the airlines i did not know that
1: no that that stat i I think you were the one who found that stat it's not shocking now that that
0: we know it but at the time i remember thinking wow that's incredible yeah exactly so you're thinking you know as a passenger there's just bags down there no there's probably stuff from ebay and target or whatever that we're helping well in the mail we we carry a lot of us mail. mail yes yeah yeah exactly So the cargo airlines were doing great during the pandemic and were literally carrying most of the load, carrying emergency supplies as well as a lot of unneeded stuff that Robbie was ordering on Amazon and (laughs) eBay because every day there was a package outside. And, you know, we're at home, we're bored, we're online. (laughs) So there's a lot of this e-commerce going on just because we can't go out. So we need everything delivered to us. Now that we're back to a semblance of normalcy, the cargo airlines have lost some of that lift, and we're seeing that affecting their business. Let's just take a look at FedEx. So FedEx advised investors of an e-commerce reset. And by e-commerce, we're talking about the online shopping mostly. FedEx CEO Raj Subramanian said before the pandemic, about 16% of retail was e-commerce. And during the peak of pandemic, online shopping, it rose to 22%. He said that is, not, that is now down to about 18 to 19% and falling. Business Insider reported that Rick Watson, the CEO of RMW Commerce, told them that UPS is actually growing faster with small and medium businesses, and it's more profitable than FedEx. Meanwhile, Amazon continues to deliver an increasing large, increasingly large percentage of all the packages on the road. FedEx, however, may have a little bit of a benefit, Doug, because customers are concerned of a possible strike by the Teamsters Union, which represents the UPS truck drivers. So they're in negotiation right now.
1: Yeah, and FedEx is taking action to stop the bleeding by cutting $3.7 billion in parking airplanes, closing offices, stopping some Sunday deliveries, and furloughing freight division workers. They will be parking at least 11 aircraft, most of them wide bodies, and unfortunately it looks like our beloved MD-10F, which is a modified version of the DC-10, will be included in that number. Aerotime Hub reported that none of their eight MD-10s have flown in 2023, with one recently flown to Victorville, California, which is where a lot of the airlines park their planes during the pandemic. We talked about that on one of the episodes when I was down there. FreightWaves reported that another possible headwind to express air is the full recovery of passenger routes, especially in Asia, which will increase available belly space for freight and potentially reduce traffic for freighter operators. And not in the bullets, but I just read that FedEx is hiring or is freezing pilot hiring until at least May of this year.
0: Yeah, so they're parking the M D ten well, you know, they haven't officially said this, but this is reporting that none of them none of the M D tens have flown or are scheduled to fly in twenty twenty three, so it might be all over that's Could the last retirement. retirement. Mm-hmm. That is the last carrier to fly what was what's basically the D C ten in the US and I I don't even know internationally, I don't know of any carriers that fly the D C ten. So it's gonna no, be the def- US. Definitely not
1: passenger cause uh, who was it?
0: Definitely not. Para- it's uh, Bangladesh airline. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: Bangladesh. They right before the pandemic, they had their final passenger DC-10 flight, and yeah, I mean, there might be some or a couple down in South America that are still flying the DC-10. I'm, I'm sure our listeners know, and, yeah. and
0: they'll reach out to us. But yeah, the, I, it's an end of an era. It really is. Well, a little bit of a tangent. How so? The aircraft you fly is a version of the DC-10. How yeah. much longer will that fly with uh, with the government? Well, it's scheduled to be fully retired
1: here in the next 18 months or so. In fact, in two weeks, three weeks, at, at end of January, I'm doing a, a flight to the Boneyard, bringing a retirement down to Arizona.
0: Yeah. No, that's amazing. So you will be flying. You might be flying the last one in history. Yeah. In fact, right? you Tyler, <laughs> we, we, I, I should let Tyler know the day. And maybe he can drive down to Tucson and oh, get I some think photos of us will. coming yeah. in no no if you have that date we'll make it a thing and we'll we'll film it landing and we'll celebrate the end of the dc10 doug a rising tide raises all ships so you talked about asia coming back hopefully that means more full cargo holds for all carriers freight and passenger airlines let's get to work because we have a lot to discuss today doug what do we have
1: yeah the first news story is regarding southwest we said that we'd probably circle back to this for the next couple of weeks Don't worry, listeners, this is not going to be the Spirit Frontier JetBlue saga, hopefully, where we talk about it every week for months, but we we do have to continue reporting on what's going on with Southwest as they recover after their cruise scheduling meltdown that caused over 16,000 cancellations. The good news is that the airline is getting back on track, with cancellations down to 3% by last Monday. CEO Robert Jordan said Southwest has processed about 75% of the refund requests. and and has returned most lost bags. Jordan said that they're reviewing what happened but offered no details on how they would avoid a repeat meltdown. The Senate Commerce Committee said that it'll hold hearings on the Southwest meltdown and Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg continues to stress that his department is watching Southwest closely and will hold it accountable to treat customers fairly. Southwest is currently offering any affected customers 25,000 frequent flyer miles and is hiring a company to review customer reimbursement requests. Southwest Pilot Union Vice President Tom McCoy said the union's calculations suggest that the latest meltdown could result in up to a $1 billion revenue hit for the carrier. Some analysts have estimated a 9% hit to their fourth quarter profits. In fact, this morning in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article talking about it. I know I sent a message to the group last night. They're expecting somewhere around real Loss, basically, like money that did not come into the airline for mm-hmm. booking tickets, around five hundred million dollars. So that's empty seats that they could not fly that they would have otherwise sold to passengers. Right. That doesn't even account for the money that they're going to have to shell out to people for reimbursing hotels. I've read stories about two thousand twenty five hundred dollar oh, yeah. hotel bills that passengers had to pay out of pocket because of this. And the airline has said that in due time they they should reimburse most of that. Some analysts are saying that this could cost Southwest up to $1.5 billion in a a mix of lost revenue and money that they're going to have to shell out. And Southwest said that they expect a loss for the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, uh, in the next couple weeks, as airlines start to report Delta, American United, even JetBlue, they're, they're all expecting big profits in the fourth quarter. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. I mean, some of these stories that you see on the news of, you know, families stranded for like four days at a time, not being able to get home, and then they have to buy tickets for $1,000, coast to coast possibly, and pay for four nights, hotels and meals. You could have a bill from one family for $10,000 easily for four days of being stranded and replacement tickets. Yeah. So this is why they're hiring a company to sift through this because it's a whole, you know, that's, that's me full-time jobs a lot of people to uh, figure out what the reimbursements are.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating, though, how humanity comes together, because I've read a lot of stories about people, complete strangers who rent, like, 15 passenger vans and drive mm-hmm. from Tampa to Milwaukee or uh, things like that, you know, like, people just band together and they're like, hey, I've got a car, I'm driving here, mm-hmm. anyone in this gate area who's going in that direction, right? you know, cover gas, you can cover part of the cost. It makes me think of that scene from the end of Home Alone where mm-hmm. John Candy is in the back of the uh, the moving truck with like his polka band, <laughs> right. and the mom from Home Alone is is just trying to get home for Christmas, and she's riding mm-hmm. in the back, and they're like playing their polka the whole time. I just picture a whole bunch of people around the U.S. in situations like this where, hey, if you have to ride in the back of a moving truck to get home, that's what you have to do.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're helping. The other airlines are helping out, too. We are making money off it, so it's not just volunteer work. But I know that some <laughs> <laughs> I know that some airlines did cap the airfares. I, I know that the fares weren't ex- they were expensive because they're day of, but they weren't exorbitant. And I can I can tell you on the briefing calls when we're getting ready for a shift and we see the load factor rising by like six percent in less than twenty four hours. I did tell people, hey, a lot of these people are Southwest customers that have been stranded. So let's welcome them. Let's treat them really nicely because they've been through a lot. Let's get them home safely and quickly. All right, moving on. Doug, we mentioned that the Airbus A220 and Embraer 195E2 would be big stories in 2023 as they fill the important 110 to 140 seat need for airlines that need more capacity than a regional jet for certain routes while not as much capacity as on a 737 or an A320. We will have our first Embraer 195 E2 story on this first 2023 taping. Thanks to our buddy Francis in New York for the story. Toronto-based Porter Airlines just received the first two of 50 E2s with options for another 50. Doug, this is 100 planes for an airline that you and I have barely heard of. Have you heard of Porter? I've, I've heard of Porter, and I see
1: them in Newark quite a bit, but th- this is an airline that flies out of Billy Bishop Airport in Toronto, downtown mm-hmm. Toronto, and their original uh, route, I guess, it was a single route, and it was Billy Bishop in Toronto mm-hmm. to New York.
0: That in was York. it. Yeah, they have a Q400 that I see at Washington, so that must be... Oh, okay, so they, they do fly to Dulles now, too. Okay. Yeah. One item of note, and this is the AvGeek side change your livery it looks like a very generic airplane that when you look at it you think oh is that JetBlue express or something yeah because it it's got like porter written
1: on the tail a whole bunch of times and like some <laughs> cross pattern
0: right but anyway 100 jets Doug, this uh Embraer 195 e2 it can be it can be configured to up to 146 seats but porter has only 132 seats in an all-economy cabin so it should be very comfortable I um, attached a picture for you to see. Look at how awesome that looks! Two and two. Yeah, that looks great. Yeah, it looks very roomy. Porter plans to fly the aircraft on routes from Toronto, and I have YYZ here, but uh, you said it's another airport in Toronto, Billy Bishop Airport. Yeah, initially that they were only flying
1: out of Billy Bishop, which is the
0: downtown
1: airport. It's like right on the lake, right by downtown. Whereas Toronto International is quite a ways
0: out outside the city. Yeah. Okay. So they'll be flying from there to Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, and a few other places. Embraer CEO Arjan Major, or Maher, boasted that the Embraer 195E2 is the most sustainable single-aisle aircraft using 25% less fuel than previous aircraft, and it's um, 65% quieter. It is the quietest single-aisle plane currently flying, according to him. Can I bring up the fact that they're going to fly E-195's
1: Transcon? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, they're, right? They're going like the to they're, they're fly them to. they they're going to fly to Vancouver. That is exactly like the A two twenty, which is capable of flying transatlantic. Yeah, pot, uh, we pot. Who knows? Porter could possibly launch Toronto or Montreal service to Europe eventually, with the E one ninety five, which is basically a regional jet. That that is nuts.
0: You know, Tyler is going to roll his eyes because he talks about how we preach wide body aircraft. And then the moment someone gives us a free cocktail or a lounge invite, we're on a Singapore airline 737, right? (laughs) But to be honest, looking at this cabin, if I had to choose between a middle seat on a 787, which is one of the best products, right? Or this, if I was flying with Robbie or you were flying with Marissa, (laughs) two seats together, wider seats. I don't know. This looks like a very attractive product.
1: Yeah. Well, and as a family of four, I can tell you when we fly on a 737 or an A321 or something like that, that's three, three, how -hmm. do you break up that the family? Like how do you sit? Ultimately what we usually do is we have three people in in one row and then one person sits across the aisle, but then you still have two random people that you're sitting next to Mm -hmm. on this. uh, And we've flown on 175s as a family and it's awesome. You have two people on one side of the aisle Two people on the other side of the aisle. You have the entire row. You don't. You're not dealing with strangers when, when it's two two. It's it's great. Yeah. But Drew, like we need street. to put an E two A two twenty challenge trip on the calendar this year. Yep. Basically, try and go fly it. <laughs> Maybe we could do Billy Bishop to Dulles or, or something right. like that. Okay. Now for more news closer to home, my home and your old stomping grounds, Drew. We're talking about California. A, quote, atmospheric river approaching the San Francisco Bay Area caused heavy rains, high winds, and diversions. Several flights diverted to nearby Oakland and San Jose, including British Airways A380, which made two attempts to land in San Francisco before going across the bay to Oakland. The flight made it to San Francisco about two hours later. Further down the coast, San Diego Airport had a pipeline leak, which forced airlines to tanker fuel in or out and make fuel stops when departing San Diego. If you don't know what tankering is, go back and listen to several past episodes. We talk about it pretty extensively. The fuel stop stations included Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and Phoenix, mostly for the transcon flights, with United and British Airways using Los Angeles primarily. Fuel stops in general can take from 40 minutes to two hours based on station capabilities.
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk about this story, number one, because uh, it was pretty big on the West Coast. And, you know, this is actually nothing for the East Coast because we have these kind of things all the time with diversions, as you know. I probably talk about it more than people want to hear. But this is unusual for San Francisco, which has nice weather. San Diego pipeline, you know, that's that's unusual too. Diversions, so 40 minutes for a diversion to get some fuel. If it's a wide body, maybe an hour or so. That's if everything goes well, right? Because you're landing at this airport, which is not a usual stop. And people aren't just hanging out, ready to work an extra 10 flights, right? Yeah. <laughs> our staffing is stretched as it is. So anyway, I wanted to gloat a little bit, and I sent you guys screenshots. So we had a 737-700 from St. Martin going to Newark, which very smartly our uh, NOC or dispatch decided to stop because there was a huge weight restriction that would have caused us to bump 20 to 30 people from, at St. Martin – that are going to Newark. So instead of bumping people, they decided to make a stop at Washington, get more fuel and keep going. So that's what they did. And Doug, we, it it was a record. So we've been unofficially keeping track of these diversions. (laughs) You got an office spreadsheet. Well, we didn't, we just have historical, you know, wives tales, old wives tales about how they turned this plane. And so fast. So (laughs) I'm starting to write them down. So what I remember pre COVID, maybe it was 2018, So we have two guys who really thrive on the tarmac desk and they were like competing. And one of them had a 25 minute turn on a diversion. And then the next day someone had a 23 and I I needed to like put that in the history books. All right, Alex, you had a 23 minute turn, you know, and they thrive on it. So this way, you know, when you do stuff like this, they thrive on the diversions and it's it's motivation to get it done quickly safely but quickly safely and quickly right and not just our department all departments anyway so this little 737 700 from st martin swoops in fuel and go we're not deplaning anyone we tell customs everyone's on the same team i mean the teamwork is amazing doug the crew the fuelers the ramp customer service everyone's on it 20 minutes so that is a new record Right, as far as that's a new recorded record, which I'm gonna remember and I'll write down someplace. So if someone beats that, we mm-hmm. can gloat about it. But it was awesome. So it came in. It was like a, a pit stop, you know, a pit crew. Uh, it it's like a pit crew watching that. I mean, we didn't have to offload any customers or bags, but we don't have to go into that. We just, I'm just sticking with the 20 minute turn time on a 737. That's awesome. Congrats on that. You were
1: asking me what the what the approach is in the San yeah. Francisco. We're like, well, I can tell you this atmospheric river, and I think we talked about it uh, maybe a year ago, a little more than a year ago, because it seems like once a wintered season. Well, for, first of all, Northern California, we only get rain from probably November to March. It's not every day, but we, we get zero rain in the summer months. We don't, I, I don't even see a cloud in the sky for like seven months here. So it's not unnormal for it to rain this time of year. But recently, we've been getting what, what they're calling atmospheric rivers, which is where the jet stream is right overhead, and it brings a bunch of moisture off of the Pacific Ocean. And if I had gone, like, we, we got an inch and a half of rain the other night in, like, a two-hour period, so there was mm-hmm. a lot of localized flooding. And the, the winds were gusting up to 45 miles an hour. It was, it was actually pretty, to use the California word, pretty gnarly, gnarly. overnight. <laughs> it actually woke me up because the, the rain was coming in sideways against the window. If we had gone 50 miles north of here or 50 miles south of here, no rain. No no rain at all. Like, if Uh, if you look at weather patterns on the East Coast or even the Midwest, it's like a a line of storms that comes through, it rains, an hour later, it's done. Mm -hmm. But it stretches from, like, the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to the Canadian border. Yep. And and it moves east to, or west east, like that. This, you flip it on its side. And it's just a constant stream of rain for like 24 hours Mm -hmm. in a very tight band like a 50 to 75 mile band and it just keeps coming it's just it's it's all this wind that's pulling all this moisture off the pacific ocean in a flat like a horizontal as opposed to a vertical like if you're looking at a map and and we are we're actually still in that river right now It's, it's just continuing to pull moisture off of the Pacific Ocean and just dump it on us.
0: Do you have any flooding in
1: your area? Yeah, we we're under flood warnings right now. Mm-hmm. Driving to pick my daughter up from school the other day, one of the the back roads that I take to avoid traffic on the interstate a bridge washed out, so mm-hmm. I, I can't even take the back road now, oh, which wow. is just congesting traffic everywhere. A lot of the streets are flooded, a lot of parking lots for businesses like that. A lot of flooding, and it's supposed to keep raining like this for the next several days. But uh, away from that, getting to yeah. the approaches, the last two times that I flew into San Francisco, they've been landing on the, on the 19s, which is very unnormal. Everyone, when I explain this, pull up a photo of San Francisco Airport. They've been landing on the 19s, and they've been taking off on the 10s, okay. which is a complete flip of the airport from what it normally is. And the airport, where it sits with the topography, with the mountains, everything— it's not built to handle a lot of capacity when you're landing on the 19s Mm -hmm. and you're taking off on the 10s, which means flow programs, flow control programs, which we've talked about on the East Coast. Pretty rare for us to get that out here. On my deadhead home from Newark the other day, we went really far north. We went up close to the Oregon border, paralleled the Oregon border, Mm -hmm. flew out over the Pacific, and then did some zigzags on the way in, just because they, they needed to flow us into this flow of traffic coming yeah. to San Francisco, which is why I'm not surprised that there were a lot of diversions to other places. Because when it goes down to that, San Francisco just can't handle its normal, what is it, capacity. like 90 arrivals in a 60 minute period or something like that. It, it just can't handle that.
0: Yeah, they've done a good job increasing that capacity. Even with the run, they're normally landing on the parallels, which is the two eights. And they're doing more side by side landings in in less, I, w- I don't want to say less visibility, but more cloud cover than they used to. I will say the ones they're landing on the night. You said nineteen. I'm glad that even you sometimes say nineteen versus one nine because we're spooky. yeah. It's it's
1: just e- like when when I'm talking quickly like that, it's yeah. just it's easier to say <laughs> on the nineteens. But yes, here you you got me because Aaron probably
0: would correct me. Right it is technically the one nines. Yes. <laughs> So the opposite, the same, the same pieces of concrete are the ones, one left and right. And it's even more rare that they land on those at SFO. And I remember as a kid, when I would hear about that, I would that's the day I would cut class for sure. I mean, I'm sorry mm-hmm. to say that. I would get my camera, cut class, drive out to SFO because the approaches were like Hong Kong. So there's a ridge of mountains right there to the, to the west of the airport. And to land on the ones, you have to come over the mountains, swoop down. It's probably a very steep approach. I'm watching these Cathay Pacific 747s swoop over the mountains and over the freeway was just amazing. But I digress. All right, Doug, I guess I get the feel-good stories today. So here's another one that passengers will love. I think we would forecast this in 2022 because airlines were starting to add Wi-Fi and we saw this as a trend and we were thinking everyone would just do it eventually. Delta Airlines has joined the free Wi-Fi club. So beginning... February 1st, CEO Ed Bastian says it's going to be free, it's going to be fast, and it's going to be available for everyone. Uh, At the Consumer Electronics Show, or CES, in Las Vegas, he added that the airline invested more than a billion dollars in Wi-Fi technology over the past few years. Delta will now join JetBlue among the airlines offering free Wi-Fi, with United and American continuing to charge for the service. Hawaiian will make Wi-Fi free later this year. Customers on Delta can access the free Wi-Fi by signing into their SkyMiles account Doug, do you see this as a trend for the rest of the carriers?
1: Absolutely. I think you have to. And I, I remember when Wi-Fi first came to hotels several years ago, and you had to pay an arm and a leg for it. Now, most most hotels that you go to, it's free as long as you have... A, a, um, loyalty account mm-hmm. with that hotel yep. you, you have to pay for upgraded access like if you want to be able to zoom which maybe that's why we've had issues <laughs> with re- with recording when mm-hmm. i'm at some of these hotels because the free wi-fi doesn't allow you to stream very well but i it, it's it's an arms race if several airlines to... now are starting to offer free wi-fi they're uh, all of them are going to have to move to that but i do remember we talked about a story a few months ago about how uh american united and delta all drop their price down to like 10 bucks domestically or something mm-hmm. like that which is uh, most people are going to pay that of course you want free wi-fi but eight bucks ten bucks
0: that's really right. so much cheaper delta than it used is down to, be. It to, it used like, to be like five forty dollars yeah delta is down to like five dollars yeah and you know everyone's going after that after that business traveler who that person wants to work so this is a real a, attractive thing to offer true but the business traveler gets their expenses reimbursed yeah but that's another form they have to fill out (laughs) that's true yeah all right let's go to our ops topic doug so we were we've been talking a little bit about diversions your flight from san francisco to frankfurt this week almost got a whole lot longer with a possible diversion over the north atlantic you told me a bit about it but i told you to stop because this is podcast ops topic gold tell us what happened and how you how you uh, made the decision to proceed to frankfurt yeah, th- this is
1: actually going to tie in several topics that we've talked about in the past. We, we had a medical emergency, Mid-Atlantic, and f- just for personal reasons, I-, I can't get into really what was going on or a, a lot of the-, the discussion about it, but we can talk about the divert decisions. When we're flying over long stretches of terrain or ocean, it, it doesn't always have to be over the ocean, like several parts of northern Canada do not have radio coverage or radar coverage and Mm -hmm. ultimately we treat that as if we're flying over the ocean so flying from san francisco to frankfurt if you pull up google maps or something or or look at a globe you see how far north we go we go up in the the upper 60s on on the latitude which is pretty far up there there's not a lot of divert options and and what we have to do then and dispatch does this for us is they give us what's what's called a critical point Mm -hmm. which This isn't based on distance. Again, this is based on time, Time. based on the winds. Between the last suitable alternate uh, as we're leaving Canada and the first suitable alternate once we get to Europe, there is a critical point, which is an equal time point between those two suitable alternates. And I I sent you the picture of the display we put rings, we put distance rings on the fix page, which creates these uh, green dotted lines. That's how we know. W- one of the ways that we know when we get to the critical point. So if Can anything I stop were you to for happen... a second?
0: Yeah. So I noticed you said ha- time. It's it's basically identified by a certain time, and I noticed mm-hmm. that a lot. Like from what you talk about in terms of distance and fuel, it's not how much fuel you have left. It's not the distance to Frankfurt. It's how much time because that's how you that's how you figure out how you where, you know, how much time it takes to get to a diversion, how much how many hours of fuel you have left, right?
1: Yeah. So we're 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 flying, we have a a critical point. On this particular flight, there was just one. I've had flights from Asia back to the States, so we have four where we have one in Japan, we have one in the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. Then we've had like Portland and then as we get closer or or no Vancouver and then as we get closer it's Portland. And sometimes the the critical points are only separated by 100 or 200 miles. So there's only like a 200 mile stretch where Portland might be our alternate or Vancouver, something like that. Mm -hmm. And basically what happens is if anything happens that could lead to a divert before you get to that critical point, Mm -hmm. you're going to turn around and you're going to go back.
0: Oh wow, okay
1: and and that's just, again that's just based on time it's based on how quickly can we get on the ground now in, in this situation we were like i don't know probably 500 miles shy of getting to the critical point mm-hmm. so cold bay alaska was our alternate in turning around yep but if there is a medical emergency do you think there's a lot of medical support in Cold Bay, Alaska? No.
0: Yeah. So that's no, not, not a great decision. All.
1: Just because Cold Bay was our alternate for the critical point doesn't mean that that's where we're going to go. That is that is like a worst case scenario. We lose an engine. We're on fire. We have to get it on the ground immediately. So in a situation like this, what we have to do is we have to start looking at weather. We have to start looking at medical, like good places to go that would have good medical. So at that at that point we might turn and go south, Mm -hmm. like down towards Winnipeg, or Toronto, or Minneapolis, or something like that. And that would all be like, we would pull dispatch in, we would talk to dispatch, we would say, we've got this medical emergency, we're we're not going to continue on, where can we go? And you see that a lot, or luckily, not a lot, but like flight radar 24, a lot of times will tweet out huge diversions, like, hours out of the way and people ask well why why wouldn't they just go to a closer airport Mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes into it and it's all based on the situation on the airplane like i said if we're on fire if we lose an engine yeah of of course cold day we're we're going to cold day but a medical emergency someone who needs excellent medical care we're going to go to a major city and that might be a
0: little bit further to fly once we turn around right and if it's not an emergency if you're not at that halfway point, sometimes you'll come all the way back to where you left from. And we had a flight going to Beijing, and it was a customer issue, but it wasn't an emergency. But the plane had to come back. This was going from Washington to Beijing. It was over Chicago, and they mm. decided to divert or return back to Washington. And people were like, some of my course like, why wouldn't they just land in Chicago? Well, when you think about it, is even though that's right below them, is that the best decision? Because half the customers on this 777 going to Beijing are from Washington, D.C. If you come back, at least half of them are home. Mm -hmm. And we have more resources because it's probably a Washington, D.C.-based crew. We have more 777 crews or whatever. So sometimes it's a better decision just to fly farther if it's not an emergency because you have more resources and you you can recover faster. On these diversions, our airline, and you know from... What I've told you and other people, our airline does a great job of recovering from these diversions. So we'll divert to Tenerife or to Iceland or someplace. The company doesn't wait for that plane to be fixed. They'll start working on a rescue crew and a rescue plane, sometimes a 787, to go get those customers as fast as you can. Because at that point, we can't offer them. Sometimes there's no hotels for 300 people in Tenerife, (laughs) right? Yeah, so it's really amazing what um, these dispatches do. And it's not just our airline. It's a bunch of airlines that they are, they are equipped. I mean, they, they know the drill. They know how to recover from these. And we've had some, Doug, that don't even make it on the news. And you would think, oh, my goodness, this would be something that would be sensational but yeah. you handle it so quickly and efficiently that the customers don't complain because they're they're saying that the airline is doing everything they can so that you don't have the angry tweets. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and here's another thing about the critical point because you were asking, well, how do you know when you're past it? Right. We have our uh, on our iPads that, that we have up on the on the uh, window. We have Jet Pro, Jepson Pro, okay. which is a our, our maps and and approaches that that's the software that we have, and it has a, a little. GPS tracking device on there and we plot the critical point and that way we can look at it and We know I mentioned that we have it on the display as well that we're able to put it So once we pass it, that that point mm-hmm. then we know hey, mm-hmm. we're, we're going on to the next spot I'm going to use this example once more this medical emergency It started about 300 miles prior to the critical point But by the time we had talked to the doctors by the time we had talked to dispatch by the time we had gotten the information from the flight attendants in the back, and we were starting to formulate a plan, if we needed to divert, we were already past our critical point. Okay. So just because it happened forty minutes or so prior to the critical point mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we are going automatically, automatically turning around and going back because we ate up a lot of distance and a lot of time trying to come up with a plan. And by the time we had done that, we we're already past our critical point. So now we're thinking, do we go to Keflavik in Iceland? Do we go to Dublin? Do we go to Shannon? Or does it make more sense just to continue on to our destination if it's not a heart attack or something like that? So there are all these different factors that go into play, and it's both pilots who are in the flight deck at the time. It's dispatch. It's the doctor. There there are lots of different people who are on these calls trying to formulate the, the information. Now he, he, here is actually a really interesting thing that happened with us. Again, I, I won't get into the details of it. It was during the captain's rest break, mm-hmm. so it was two oh, wow. first officers. So do you like them Well, it, initially we we have to like we have to make an initial call. Like we we have to get the information. Like before we make any decision, we have to get all the information. So what we ended up doing was we got on the phone with dispatch. We talked to the doctor. We got all the information and and got them to t- got the doctor to advise us to what they think that we should do before we wake up the captain. Okay. Because if we wake up the captain and we say we have a, a medical emergency, now we're cutting into his rest break, which could ultimately impact the amount of time that we can fly further on mm-hmm. because he's supposed to be out of work. Completely resting. Right. So we need before we call him, we need to have all the information and have a plan. Which is what we did. So we we spent the entire time talking to the doctor, talking to dispatch, and then we called the captain and we briefed him and we said, Hey, this is what happened. This is what they're advising. Do you have anything like what what is your ultimate decision? Yeah. And he said, No, great job. I, I totally agree with what you guys did. He didn't even come up in the flight deck at all because we were able to handle it. And that's part of the training that we go through is if we need to step in and act as the captain, which when the captain is out, he actually gives one of us the authority to make decisions without him, but then loop him in when we're
0: done. So I don't know if you remember, but uh, at that moment, do you know where you would have diverted if it was an emergency? As we were on the phone with uh,
1: – actually, the, the other FO was on the phone with Dispatch and, and the, the MedLink people, and I was listening in. I was looking at the weather. I was looking at all the, the different divert options. Yeah. Uh, Reykjavik was one of the options okay. that we were looking at. But the reason I brought up Dublin is because I, I was looking ahead mm-hmm. as opposed to behind. And, and here's the other thing, too. We were, I don't know what, what, what I'd say, 30 minutes prior to the critical point when everything started. But that do- also doesn't mean that we aren't closer to good medical treatment if we continue, which we would have like at that point, even right. though we weren't at the critical point, we were actually closer to better medical treatment forward than we were behind because we would have had to go, on, go farther past Cold Bay to get to Calgary, or to get to Winnipeg, or to turn south and get to Toronto, something like that. And as you're all these different decisions that go into play, when we have a possible diversion,
0: right? And as you're calculating and making a decision, you're actually getting closer to Dublin. So correct, it makes more and more sense. From a station perspective, I, I know I've talked about this before. But like I said, our goal is to make it as less stressful, as least stressful for the customer as possible. So if we learn that uh, we have a flight diverting from San Francisco to London, sometimes we'll have a San Francisco London or a Houston to Frankfurt divert to Washington. And our whole thing, you know, if we have advance notice, we have another plane, we'll get it ready so that all people have to do is to walk onto the new plane. Usually the crews going to Europe have a few hours of legality time. And we've seen this happen a lot of times and we've done it seamlessly and check Twitter or, uh, you know, the local news the day after and there's nothing. And then it's like, wow, that's a success because it didn't Mm -hmm. even cause a ripple. Yeah, it's all really fascinating stuff, Drew. Hopefully the listeners get something
1: out of that and you appreciate it a little bit more if you are on a flight that has to divert because, you know, everything that's going on in the background. In fact, listeners, you can can brief your fellow passengers that you're (laughs) sitting next to and then... Tell them to listen to this episode. Well,
0: just know they can they can know it's you know from listening to us they can know it's not chaos. We have a, a, an orderly organized way of handling it. Well, Drew, our last segment combines two of our favorite things: airplanes
1: and airline lounges. How about a lounge <laughs> on an airplane? Longtime listener Gordon sent us this email, and we'll have fun discussing. He said, "Good day. I was going through some paperwork and found my golden order of latitude zero certificate from Continental Airlines circa 1981." Unfortunately, I did not fill it out to know the date for sure, but those were some great days to travel when they actually gave you cool stuff and had their lounge as well. This came from a trip from San Francisco to Australia and New Zealand on a DC-10 stopping in Honolulu each direction. And then he said, I sure miss Continental with a crying emoji. <laughs> Happy New Year to everyone. Keep up the great work. And he sent a picture of the certificate. So cool. So that's as you cross over the equator, mm-hmm. they, they hand those certificates out. That's pretty cool drew then you asked him if this was a continental airport lounge and he said no that was when they had the lounge on the plane again even the poor folks could go there (laughs) i think they called it quote the pub that was for everyone even us poor folks in the back
0: this could be a whole nother segment lounges on airplanes because no u.s carrier has a lounge that i know of but a few international carriers do and it's very few actually i think it's Emirates has their bar. Qatar has a little sitting area. I think Virgin still has a little loungy area. And it would be good if we did a study to see if this is good for bringing in business. I I mean, subjectively, I sat at the Emirates bar for three hours on a four and a half hour flight between Christchurch, between Sydney and Christchurch. And I cannot tell you if I have a choice of that plane and another, I would choose to fly that airline and that plane on that same route just because of that. Just looking at just remembering that barrier on Emirates, I would think that you could put you could probably put another five business class pods in there. And at what average business class fare is about $5,000. That mm-hmm. would be $25,000 worth of revenue on that flight that they're not yeah. getting. I, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think well, my that's thoughts effective?
1: subjectively? I, I've only flown one what one time where there was a lounge or a bar, as you talk about. It was on Virgin, but I was sitting in the back, so I couldn't use it, but it looked cool. And I w- yeah, I would have loved going to sit there if I'd been in, in business. But as you said, objectively, that's a lot of real estate that you're giving up for revenue. Like you said, you could put probably five more pods there. Mm-hmm. And that using your example, $5,000 per seat, that's $25,000. Are you going to bring in enough business, that you can charge extra and offset the cost of having the bar there? I don't think so. And I think that's why most airlines are going away from that because it's a real estate game because they they figure they can get a lot more revenue Mm -hmm. and and maybe even make the tickets a little bit cheaper for everyone if they don't have that unnecessary open space.
0: Emirates does not. So all of their A380s have this bar. There's no sign of them taking that away. So I think we need to look into it. These little things, it's not just that. It's that and more expensive champagne, a shower on board, little things like that. It's not tangible exactly what the, the, the opportunity cost or the, um, how would you call that? Um, no, opportunity you
1: know, cost. That, that, that is a great way to explain it.
0: Yeah, because you have an opportunity to get more revenue because people feel that your product is generally better because you have all these things. So you're able to command a higher yield. Mm-hmm. from your passengers we can we should probably look into that scientifically and see if there's any proof of that
1: one more thing i want to mention yeah gordon i love this certificate the crossing the equator <laughs> it's so official that's fantastic
0: <laughs> yeah that, that is fantastic
1: well actually i have a question why yeah. does no one care about the prime meridian what why why didn't they hand out prime meridian certificates because you're going from one hemisphere to the other or yeah. international dateline international, international dateline, dateline certificates
0: order of latitude certificate interesting you know, maybe someone else had already had the prime meridian certificate, so Continental had to. Have <laughs> yeah, so front. Continental had to do something. <laughs> Gordon, thanks for that walk down memory taxi lane. Let's fast forward to today. Where on most airlines, the last thing they're thinking about is adding lounges to their aircraft. Quite the opposite. Even first class cabins are absent on many low fare carriers, as they accommodate close to two hundred people. Doug on a seven thirty seven. I know our airline. I haven't, you know, done research exactly for what I said, but I know. On a 737, our airline, which has a nice cabin with a first class and more legroom in the front. We have 179 seats on some of these yeah. 737s. No pubs on planes anymore. But is the product still good on the ultra low cost carriers, Doug?
1: Well, we're about to find out, and we've talked about this for years about doing this, and we finally are pulling the trigger, and we're going to do it. Listeners, next week, we're going to take you along on a low fare trip from Orlando on a Velo's inaugural flight to my hometown of Dubuque, then we're going to try out Frontier the next day, flying from Cedar Rapids to Denver. We have to talk about this. The, right, we the had a flight was announced. The flight was announced back in November, and we, I think we booked it like the day that it was announced. It was forty three dollars. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I, I think. I, like, yeah, thir- thirty five dollars okay. or something.
0: Yeah, that's like that's lower than the Z fares we get as airline employees on other airlines standby.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now it may not be the true low cost experience on this first flight, though, mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. Because it's inaugural. It's an inaugural. It's the, the first time that this airline is flying to Dubuque. It's the first time that this route is being flown by an airline. So there, there's going to be some excitement on board, I think. So it may not quite feel ultra-low-cost carrier, but I looked yesterday at the seat map. Drew, I count only five people on this flight. Oh, wow. So we're going. So even though plane. it's an ultra-low-cost carrier and we're getting the ULCC experience, mm-hmm. it's going to be nothing like that because it's going to be completely empty. It's going right. to be a party atmosphere, the five of us, I guess. So it it may be a little bit different than what we were initially expecting.
0: Yeah, as soon as Doug saw this, you sent it to me. It's like let's do, I and mean, there was no thought process. We decided that day, I think, and we were just going to figure out getting hall passes and days off work of it, later. Yeah. <laughs> well, how could you? You know, that's to your hometown. That's an inaugural flight to your hometown, and it's a low fare, which we've wanted to do, and it's from Orlando. You know, which will be warm during warmer mm-hmm. during the winter that we can. We can go to this is a velo and Frontier. We were also going to fly Spirit from Houston, I think it was, to Orlando, and it was like fifty-nine dollars. So we were going to book it yesterday and now it's $120. And Av Geeks are um stereotypically cheap. And we were like, $120, <laughs> no way. <laughs> we are going to have to instead suffer and fly our own airline, possibly in a live flat seat to New York. <laughs> and, uh, Orlando. But we try, we want everyone to know that we tried for three low fare carriers. I didn't know
1: until just the other day that I was going to be able to do this for sure because I had to get, uh, I had to change my schedule a little bit because originally I had a trip that overlapped these dates and I had to, to move it into a different trip. Once I found out that I could do it, that's when we went ahead and started looking at the spirit price. Mm-hmm. But then I was in Europe, and I was trying to book when I was sitting at the bar in Europe, and Spirit's website was blocked for whatever reason. So I couldn't buy it then. You were going to try and buy it. And you even said to me right right before we did the final look yesterday, hey, do you just want to fly our airline (laughs) instead? And I was like, no, come on. We've got to stay the course. Mm -hmm. We've got to do the Spirit thing. And as soon as it jumped to 120, 120 bucks, I was right. like, no, let's fly for free on <laughs> our airline instead.
0: <laughs> yeah, but we want
1: everyone to know that we tried. And then, well, And then we, we were still talking about flying to Houston, mm-hmm. we going through Houston. We would have been in the back. Yep. And then you found the Transcon with a wide-open business class cabin on a 777-300. right. We didn't even hesitate. We're like, yep, let's
0: do that. <laughs> so we were sad for about five minutes until we looked at our options. And then we, you know, we recovered. We bounced back pretty quickly when we saw like 40 business class seats open for free. <laughs> well,
1: hopefully we get it. We'll write we'll with these the upgrades. listeners in next week. But yeah, we'll we'll be recording along the way. It should be a really fun trip because it's a mix of lounges, mm-hmm. lie flat premium seats, and ultra low cost. We're we're gonna get the whole gamut on this trip, plus inaugural flight, and we're going to the Zurich of the Midwest. It's gonna be great.
0: And are we? Well, we have a so you know we have our names for the clubs, which by now everyone knows in San Francisco. It's the Captain Cook and the Plantation, because <laughs> just because of the the crazy the um, outdated <laughs> furniture in there. But there's a new one. So you um, you visited our club in uh, Newark, which you hadn't been to, and it's a modern one. And what do we call it? The Restoration Hardware? Or- no, we, we call it the Williams Sonoma <laughs> because it's got exposed brick and it
1: it, it feels like a like a Williams Sonoma type store,
0: right? So that's what we call it, the Williams. So yeah, so we're going to Newark, so we'll, we'll be able to have breakfast at the Williams and Sonoma.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, to our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so you, we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, or Instagram, and podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel.
0: Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. Happy New Year again. This is our first taping of 2023. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast.